first question. Do sure. you consider yourself a space lawyer? Yes, I do consider myself a space lawyer and a spacey one at that. Esquire podcast. I am your host, Nathan Johnson, and in each episode, I interview professionals in space law and policy to try and find out exactly what that means. First, a disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the views or opinions of any of my past, present, or future employers or clients. Today, I am joined by a colleague of mine and a mentor, Dr. Diane Howard. Hi, this is Diane Howard. Um, I am a legal academic and a practicing attorney, and I love space. That is a great introduction, Diane. Thank you so much. First question, do sure. you consider yourself a space lawyer? Yes, I do consider myself a space lawyer and a spacey one at that. I know that Space law is um, something that uh, often gets the giggle factor going, but I really do believe that it captures the fact that we do love space and that we have um, taken upon ourselves to not just be lawyers, but lawyers that find ways to apply terrestrial law to situations that occur off Earth. And, and I think that that needs to be denoted. And you sort of touch upon the one of the major themes of this podcast which is not just defining the persons but defining the field what does space law mean to you you mentioned applying terrestrial law to outer space is that part of a, a broader definition in your mind not so much to outer space but more to the our 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 activities in outer space for sure and that does translate to the geog geographical domain as well but what do I consider to be space law? It's a subset of international law for sure. And in fact, that's when I, when I teach, that's how I explain it. So it sits under an overarching umbrella of, of international law. And then of course, there are many layers to space law. We have the overarching international law. We have the res specialis of space law itself. And then we also have a domestic law. So we have, you know, the, the, the onion layers continue to peel. And then within domestic law, we have, you know, statutory law, we have regulatory law, we have advisory and guidance. We have lots of soft law throughout everything I just described. And, and I would say that anything that is drafted, designed, negotiated with the intention of having some linkage to human behavior in space 
getting to space, while in space, getting back from space, I would say that that would satisfy my requirements for the definition of space law. And that's pretty. That's a pretty important distinction to draw out for people. It's not space law is not just law that you use and apply when you're in space or outside of your national boundaries. It's something that applies while you're inside your own country as well, while you're working on the ground towards these things. Absolutely. Eileen Galloway, she, in one of her early writings, or maybe not so much early, but, but midlife writings, talked about the unique characteristics of space law. And she said that there were, you know, four four things that, that space law included. And that was that it was both national and international, and that it was about you know, the things that happened in a specific area and that specific area itself. So, you know, the geographic area, if you will, and then the activities within that activity, and then it had this national and international component. And and who am I to argue with Jaime Galloway? <laughs> and for those listeners who are not aware, there is also an annual Eileen Galloway Symposium on Critical Issues in Space Law held annually in Washington, D.C. Every December. Absolutely. How long have you participated in that symposium? Well, I, I'm going to tell you, I was actually a fly on the wall at the symposium or colloquia that from which it was born. So there was a moon proceed, a moon agreement like workshop in Montreal at McGill in the summer of 2006. And I went as an observer at the time I was a practicing attorney who just loved space, but I hadn't, and I had taken it upon myself to do an awful lot of, of, of self-teaching, but I hadn't yet made, you know, the, 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 the uh, I hadn't become the bacon. I hadn't <laughs> thrown myself into the frying pan and thoroughly committed my life to this. I was, I was a regular lawyer. And as I sat there observing, there were a number of people sitting at the actual table and I, I, you know, I, I, had my aha moment where I said, oh my goodness, I'm going to go back and quit my job and I'm going to like apply to this LLM program and I'm going to do this because life is short. But while I sat there, I believe it was Stephen Doyle and Tanya Masson-Zwan and Joanne Grabinowitz who sort of formulated this idea that there should be something in Eileen's name. And she was, at the time, she was still very much alive. And, and the thought was that the honor would have much more meaning if it was done while she was with us. And so they, they did it. That was the first year, 2006. So that was the first one that I went to. And I have gone to virtually all of them except one. I unfortunately got a nasty bout of norovirus and thought that it was better that I didn't go. I just stayed in my hotel room and didn't go. That was the only year that I didn't. Oh, so you, you were in DC, but you I, just couldn't make it out of the room. Just traveled and said, no, just say no. Mm -mm. And you know, the idea being that I didn't want to get anybody else sick. Like I, I was, et cetera. So yeah. But other than that, yeah, I've been there every year. Yeah, I went to law school in D.C., and yet I could never go because it was always during finals week yes. at law school, Yes, which no, I've raised I... that point before. I know it's very tough to reschedule things around everybody's schedule. And this year, we actually did have a large presence of law students because of the NASA Space Law Network who got to participate in it this past year. Yeah, actually, I had uh, one of my students from Embry-Riddle was there as well. One of the only, there were two undergraduate students and he was one, which was 
wonderful for me, so fulfilling, really incredibly fulfilling. But I do understand and appreciate your problem about the finals as a, a person who's been teaching. I just decided not to do cumulative finals at a certain point, because if you don't do, if you don't do a cumulative exam for the last exam, it doesn't have to be during finals week. It's, you know, it's different rules than the ABA because it wasn't a law school. It was an under, undergraduate program. And and I so that week, the, the week of the Galloway has always traditionally for the last umpteen years been the week that I do all my grading. So I would just come and hole up in D.C. and go to the Galloway and do my grading online and, and hit as many holiday parties as possible. So that's another part of space law is great holiday parties in D.C. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pause for a second. We were talking about Eileen Galloway. You were talking about being present for the formation of the very first symposium. You talked about being an attorney at that point in time and being interested in space law. Can you talk to us about how you became interested in yeah. space law? If you can track back to the first event where this got on your radar. I can tell you, yes, to, to almost to the millisecond. So I was in the fashion industry for a number of years and I was very successful and I loved it and I really got to flex my entrepreneurial muscles as well as my corporate muscles and it was a very great experience until I until it wasn't and I realized that I wanted some more purpose I didn't have enough purpose and I was you know a time in my life also where a lot of other things were going on and my family I, I decided to quit the fashion industry and get off the road because I was doing an, an inordinate amount of traveling. My daughter at the time was, I think she was just getting ready to go into high school. My father was very ill and uh, my family said, well, what are you, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, I said, I'm not quite sure, but I want to do something. I want to, I, I want to do something that's for the greater good. So uh, my aunt it was a, didn't have any children of her own and she was, she knew that her end was near and she said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the money to go back to school. What do you want to do? I said, well, I'm going to go to law school. I've always wanted to do that. And I decided that I was going to be an environmental lawyer because I wanted to do something that, again, was for more than just lining my pockets in the pockets of my employers. So I was all ready to start my law school and I'm waiting for parts for my car and I'm in line and a guy next to me, very, very, I couldn't pick him out in a crowd. I wouldn't even know what he looked like. But I remember that he was a little, he was pretty geeky, pretty pencil, pro, pencil protector. That uh, starts chatting me up. And he goes, oh, so what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm getting ready to start law school. He goes, really, what kind of law do you want to practice? And I said, well, I want to do something for the greater good. I think I'm going to study environmental law. He goes, well, I'll tell you about an environment that needs to be cleaned up. You should look at space law. And I went, space like Star Trek? He goes, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. And I went, okay. And I didn't really think twice about it. I just moved a little further away from him in the law and got the parts to my car, went home. And this is, you know, this is going back a few years. And I was watching public television and Carl Sagan Cosmos came on a few days later. I went, oh, yeah, that guy. Wow. Right. And that was the day that I was going to go do the orientation at the law school. And, you know, they give you a tour of the library and this and that. And we're in the stacks. This, we're not like, you know on Westlaw and Nexus were like in the stacks and they said, what do you want to look up? We're at the reference desk. And I said, I want to look up space law. And they, they, I don't even know if it's a thing. And they find me the outer space treaty and I start reading it and I'm reading the chapeau and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm like 
looking at this for for the benefit of all mankind, peaceful purposes. I'm my I'm hearing bells. It's like <laughs> the angels are singing. It, it was incredible, and I, I I just I just knew it resonated in me. So I started talking to people, and everybody else started moving away from me in the lines, going, "Really, space law? Not criminal law? Not family law? I mean." I'm like, no. So, of course, nobody taught anything called space law in my, in my uh, law school. But there were a number of things that I could hobble together. I took international law. I took um, international trade law. I took admiralty law. I started, you know, anytime I had a, a writing requirement for a class, I would make it be something that somehow had a nexus to space or space law. I reviewed books about space tourism and all sorts of things. So I, the first actual space law, it wasn't even, well, yeah, I guess, yeah, it is a space law event. The first actual space law related thing that I went and did, I did take a summer class at McGill while I was in law school, and I knew that this was my calling. And then I think I had already graduated. I'm not, I, I think I was working for a judge at the time, and I discovered March Storm like in a footnote of a book that I was reading. And so I called them up and I said, I would like to come and, and advocate as a citizen who loves space. And they said, come on down. And that happened to be 2004. So it was a very critical year because that was the year that we were sort of educating people as best we could about the issues that were contained in the Commercial Space Launch Amendments Act of 2004. So that was my, my first foray here into D.C. with something related to space, and I was like hooked completely. And so that's around 2004. You've graduated from law school. I, I discovered, but I, my, my first uh, discovery of, I think it was in 2000 or 2001. Right. So the decision to go to law school, waiting for your car parts, having somebody put the seed into your mind. Yes. Look this up. Yep. You tie it into your coursework during law school. You take a summer course at McGill. You graduate, you work for this judge, and you start participating in legislative blitzes to educate people about space law issues, especially on the domestic level, right? If you're in DC on Capitol Hill. How do you transition from clerking for a judge? How do you walk up the ladder from that point to be to get further involved in space law? You show up. So I was really blessed. I in my interview with the judge, so I was uh, <laughs> my judge and I got along great. And he um, he decided early on that he liked my writing a lot. And he, um, and, and I think the fact that I was, you know, a mature student and, and a little bit older um, than the ordinary graduate, I think it helped me. You know, there, at one point I wondered if it was going to hurt, but no, it never has. Um, because I had a lot of business experience, and a lot of street, street smarts, and, and I think that really informed a lot of my writing. And we just really got along well. So I was not in the seat that revolved every every year where you get a new, you know, new people come into the chambers. I, I had the, the uh, permanent seat. So I was there for a few years. But when I interviewed for the position, he asked me if there was anything that he should know about me. And I misinterpreted this completely. I said, yes. I, I said, well, I'm a bit eccentric, and it was like Christmas time, and I had like a little, you know, Christmas headgear on my head, and I pointed at it, and I said, and I love space, and and I said, and 
and and really and truly, if there's any way that I can go to conferences and things while I'm working for you, because it's really important to me, that's how I'm learning. You don't have to pay me. I know I'm going to use up my vacation time really quickly, you know, but I'll always have my work done. And he goes, well, no, that's not what I mean. I was meaning, do you have like a criminal record or anything? And I went, oh, okay. And I didn't. But he said, now tell me more about this space law thing. So I did. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. You get your work done. You be in court every time you need to be in court. And I will allow you to go to whatever conferences you need to go to. And here's the deal. I'll even pay you for your time when you're gone, as long as you publish something every year and you give me a report on something that you learned that pertains to space law whenever you come back from one of these conferences. Needless to say, I was not loved by my colleagues because I did have a sweet deal and it was a better deal than they did, but I hadn't angled for it. I had just told the truth. I just said, you know, and he could see the purity of my zeal. And he, and so I, I was there for a few years. And then I was at that moon proceeding symposium at McGill. And I had, by that time I had some publishing credits. I had invited myself to some capacity building workshops. I would get up at two o'clock in the morning and I would, you know, call from my kitchen because it was six hours ahead. And and I got to know, you know, some of the people that were there in UN USA. And they would say, are you self-funded? And I would say, well, I guess so. Yeah, I'm paying for myself. And and they would, you know, they said, sure, come. And and I would, so I remember with the first time I met Joanne and, and, and a number of other people that, I mean, ended up becoming good friends and also mentors to me. And I would sit there. My, my judge also allowed me to bring court files with me on these trips so that I could stay on top of my work. And I would sit there with like my, you know, the court files around me and all these academics are like looking at me with these court files and what is she doing? And at the time I would never open my mouth. I would just like soak it all in, listen, listen, listen. But I was, I, I, I was too meek or shy at that point to ever even offer an opinion. But I remember Joanne Gerberowitz explaining to me the, the benefits of consensus and I remember Vladimir Kapal telling me that because I was like, I will never know what all these articles are. I will never be able to like, you know, spout this like you, you people are amazing. And he said, no, you will. One of these days you will. And, and um, yeah, so that was, uh, that was very um, meaningful. But then that time when I was sitting there watching everybody that when, when during the birth of the Eileen Galloway Symposium, I went back to my judge and I said, this is it. I'm going to apply to McGill. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to apply to their LLM program. You have a year to find my replacement and I'll help you. And he's like, what if you don't get in? I said, well, I'll regroup. I'll figure it out. So that's, that's what I did. I helped him find my replacement and I went to McGill and I never looked back. And how do you get, so that's what you do. You take risks, you show up. I volunteered. I, at, by that time I was a member of the IISL. I, I, uh, you know, just said, hey, whatever you want me to do, I'll make you your coffee, I'll photocopy, I'll do whatever you want. You know, just l let me be of service, let me be of use. And I think, I think if you do that and you really mean it, you're not too good to do whatever needs to be done. I think opportunities open up. They surely have for me. But I, I mean, I'm sitting here in D.C. right now. <laughs> I left a position that was very fulfilling and wonderful and rewarding to come here and I'm not 100% sure of where, you know, where here is, truthfully. <laughs>
<laughs> but I do know that I'm looking out my my window and I can see the Jefferson Building of the Library of Congress and I can see the Statue of Freedom on top of the, the U.S. Capitol Rotunda and, and that's pretty special and you know here I am talking to you and when I get off the phone I have a bunch of other space law related projects to attend to so that's how you make the leap. Wow and I've been lucky to have you share your story before, but I was really looking forward to having you share it with all the listeners of this podcast, because it is very inspiring. We look at people who have taken lots of different paths to get involved, and your path is a little more roundabout than others, but it shows that it is still accessible to anybody who is interested. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I see, you know, students of mine that some of whom do go on to law school, but not all, some of them become policy people, but it is far less circuitous than my path. But, and, and I can see, boy, I could have like cut out all, you know, that 20 years in the middle, <laughs> but it is what it is. And, and it's funny because I was talking to my successor at, at uh, Embry-Riddle at the program that I just left. And she was talking about the courses that I set up in, in the learning platform that we use there. And she said, wow, it's almost overwhelming. There's so much here. And I said, yes. And I, I know I've never been accused of being a linear thinker, which is true. So. <laughs> yeah. So that's how you got to where you are today. How are you currently involved in space law and policy? Well, any way I can be. So, of course, I, I'm executive secretary of the International Institute of Space Law. And, and so I will say probably uh, the most important thing I do every year is make sure that people have a place to sit at the dinner that we have in conjunction with our, our colloquia and the awards dinner and, and the finals for the moot court. But, but there's a lot of other functions that I perform for the IISL. I'm the chair of the annual Space Traffic Management Conference, which we, we began at Embry-Riddle, but we are co-hosting with UT Austin. And I have to say, UT Austin has stepped up in the biggest and most wonderful way for this. So my co-host is Dr. Marie Bajaw. And the Space Traffic Management Conference is like the first dedicated to all issues space traffic management, including getting through the NAS and getting back. And so, but a lot orbital governance and then roundtables government and, and uh, industry and international roundtables. And sometimes, depending on how much time we have, some years we've done tabletops and simulations and things like that. So. I stay very involved in that, and this year's conference is in February, right after the Science and Technical Summit meets in Vienna at, at UNCOPUS. Hopefully, there will be some some more progress with regard to issues that, that are pertinent to space situational awareness and space surveillance and tracking and space traffic management and, and the governance, so that we will you know be able to disseminate that information to the space traffic community. But that that's in a very rewarding role and one that I'm fortunate that I get to continue. I'm no longer teaching at Embry-Riddle, but I am helping, um, you know, I went there to help put together an interdisciplinary program that incorporated law and policy uh, along with a technical track and required all students, be they technical or policy track students, to have a foundation that included 
the history of space law and policy and the fundamentals of regulation. And then there were a number of other courses that I developed as well that were required for the policy track students, but open to all. And that was at the undergraduate level. And, and I was yearning for law, working with grad students and law students again, because I had a taste of that kind of theoretical hashing things out with a course that I developed last year that was a seminar course, but it was in space diplomacy and it was wonderful. So UT Austin gave me the opportunity to do that, to create a a law school level, graduate student level, interdisciplinary short course, and to work with Mariba Ja, who I mentioned before, with putting together this program at UT Austin. So I will be teaching that short course at the end of next week, and that's super exciting. We've exceeded the enrollment numbers, and I'm just thrilled. And it'll be a two-day, you know, all day long for two days in a row, back to back. I'm so excited about that. I'm on a number of different working groups that deal primarily with space traffic management and and space situational awareness issues. Um, I'm the IISL sort of delegate to a bit of a consortia between the IISL, the International Academy of Astronautics, and the International Astronautical Federation. And the three organizations, which are kind of like sister organizations to one another, signed an MOU two years ago. And then this last year in Bremen signed another MOU that said that space traffic management would be the first issue, that first initiative that we would work on together the, the three organizations. So each organization put forth a delegate to sort of be the point of contact, rather. I think that's better better than delegate. So we're working on that right now. We're working on different things. We have a working group with the AIAA also on these issues, which will also meet in the margins of the conference that we're having at UT the end of February. So obviously there's a lot of things that I I continue to do. You know, the government is shut down right now. Uh, Well, not all of it, but partially. We we have a lapse in funding and and certain things are not going forward. And so, you know, that what will happen remains to be seen. We'll see how that resolves. I'm sure that once we get past and once we get through this impasse, I'm sure that there will be more things that I'm doing here in the U.S. But right now I have plenty to do. (laughs) I've got about five different articles and chapters and things that I'm working on. Most of them collaborations, but I think two of them are me on my own. So yeah, there's, you can always stay busy in academia and internationally. And I'm grateful. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've mentioned it a couple of times already. I usually ask people from their perspective, what is currently a hot topic or happening in space law? And from your perspective, it must be space traffic management and space situational awareness. Space situational awareness. I think, you know, I think it's premature for us to get to the um, the governance aspects. And really, when we're talking about traffic management or orbital coordination, we're, we're, we're starting to get to, you know, decision making and, and, and rulemaking. And I think first we have some some technical issues that we are dealing with on the um, situational awareness side and the tracking and, you know, the kinds of sensors that are available, the whether or not those sensors are going to be required is, is, is the next thing. So, yes, I think that that's very, very, very important. I think that ties right in with sustainability, which is, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have told you long-term sustainability of space activities was my hot topic. And, and, and certainly this grew out of that. There are a number of others, but, you know, you can't, 
for me, I don't think that I can be all things to all people and I don't try. And I, I'm very interested in how we resolve some of the issues regarding in situ, in situ resource utilization and, oh goodness, putting settlements together off earth, things like that. But I know that, you know, you only have so much bandwidth and I'm, I, for me, I like to, to really think and take the time to dive into things and not be shallow. And I, I just, uh, I, I've gotten more and more involved in the SSA, STM, SST group of issues, and I'm happy to be there. I would say another part of this is really maximizing effective use of space. I, I don't, I, I don't really think, I think sometimes we think of space as this environment and if we allow industry to have, you know, have its way, it's somehow not going to be pristine. And, 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 and I think sometimes when we talk about things in terms of global commons, we get into this little bit of a trap of, you know, oh my God, you know, we should maybe feel a little guilty that we're, I don't see it that way at all. I see that if we really are, use the lessons we've learned and are still learning here on earth and are wise, we can have the quality of life for all of us here improves exponentially, whether we continue that life here on earth or we continue it somewhere else. And, and so finding ways to keep all the stakeholders working together, and that includes industry, that includes the private sector, is also a very important issue for me as well. Yeah, and that's a that's sort of a higher level goal or theme. I was going to say one of my goals with this podcast is to show how varied and wide the space law field and industry is because there are so many different types of activities and issues that have nuances that, like you said, you can't know all the nuances to all the issues. So sometimes you have to choose and dig in. But there is a part where everybody overlaps. And yeah. I think the way you described that overlap being as how do we make sure that all of these people can continue to work together, I think is a very positive goal to have in mind, no matter what part of the issues you're in. Well, and, and, and you know, that's, and it requires discourse and listening. It requires that we all continue, that we we continue to get together and talk and work. And it's wonderful that we can work together and talk and do things, you know, by virtue of, a, you know, like this and electronically, and we can collaborate and, and often and, and do so repeatedly throughout the week. So we're not limited to the times that we can all get on a plane and get together. We, we have so much more diversity in inputs and in involvement. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. I was working on something with a number of people from the I, the AIAA, I guess last week, to provide some inputs to the State Department for work going forward at STSC. And the fact that we were able to do all of this without getting together, and it's a, it's a fantastic thing. And so we need to continue to do that. We need to continue to work with each other, listen to each other. It's fantastic. And in terms of the broader discourse with everybody, let me switch gears. Do you come across any common misconception in the general public when you are talking to them about space law? Well, yeah, I think it's a, it's a misconception that the 
general the general uninvolved public has about law in particular. I, I don't think that a lot of people completely understand where the source of laws authority comes from. And and so I think sometimes there's for the layperson there's a bit of a disconnect between an in an understanding of the role of states and then the role of non-state actors and and still at the end of the day and there certainly is a role for non-state actors. I and that's what's so exciting about the here and now is that this is acknowledged it's it, it has been for a, more than a decade or two and and that they're you know invited in it's there's still a certain amount of pushback and resistance from some some countries but that's a wonderful thing but i think that this is something that the public doesn't always understand well why can't it be this way so or you know the just because you have an opinion doesn't make it so. There are actually legal obligations and, and, and coming up with a better idea or having an opinion or being able to argue that opinion isn't necessarily at the end of the day the thing that's going to be determinative of whether or not it happens. At the end of the day, you need political will. So I, I think that is a bit of a misconception because, and then that's not relevant only to space law, but certainly it does have its role in space law. I think, you know, we often take for granted that the rest of the world understands the difference between civil space, military space, and the private sector. And I can tell you from, you know, teaching CSO 101 for a number of semesters, a bunch of incoming freshmen who absolutely love space, they love it so much that they're going to a private university where they can major in spaceflight operations for their undergraduate Bachelor of Science, and yet they have, they don't understand the difference between NASA and SpaceX. So that's another misconception. People don't understand exactly what these different parts of the space sector represent what, so I think that's another misconception. And I think that's those, those two, I'll, I'll stick with those. Let's wrap things up here. You've talked about your experiences, both as a student yourself, but also as a professor for that portion of students who are undergraduate, pre-law or pre-graduate school. Right. Yep. What advice uh, did you or would you give students like that? Pretty much what I said to you in the beginning, show up. Show up, do your best, um, find purpose. If you find your purpose, the rest falls into place. Um, listen to what resonates for you. <laughs> develop your moral compass and, and then listen. <laughs> um, go the extra distance. I mean, if you, if you do your best, always show up and do your best. The world is your oyster. The universe is your oyster. But if you don't, you can, you can bet you won't go as far. So I, I you know, I, I've told that to my students, you know, I, am fortunate. I continue to be in touch with a number of my former students, which isn't, a wonderful thing and often they they come back and they say yeah thank you because you know i think also if we just ask for help offer it and ask for it and i think that's another thing and and write as much as possible i i think you know even if you're not going to publish article but, but become precise in your communication it will help every project every every initiative that you're involved in learn to get precise 
And, you know, you talked about finding your heart and your moral compass. Yes. Um, probably two pieces of advice that are good before you get into law school. Before you do anything. But for those students who are currently in law school or graduate school, is there any specific advice you have for that time of their lives? Yes. Read everything you can. I would say if there are no space law courses at your particular institution, see if there's anything, any summer courses that are available, like what I did at McGill when I was a law student years and years ago, to help get you aware of what the issues are. Did I say read? Keep reading. (laughs) Go to conferences. Go to as many. Go to conferences. Go to conferences. Go to conferences. Join Space Generation Advisory Council. I, uh, I mean, it's free to join. It's for people 18 to 35 years old. It's an enormous network of people that are that love space. Um, and there are all kinds of scholarships available to go to events like the Fusion Forum in Colorado and, and the Congress, which happens before IAC. So definitely that. Look and see what kinds of scholarships are available from organizations like Secure World Foundation to go to conferences to start hearing from from experts and and practitioners and people, what the issues are. Don't only listen to to the lawyers, although I please come and listen to us as well, but also get out there and listen to some of what the people that are actually in industry, what their what their issues are, find out what it is that they're trying to solve or what they're wrestling with or where you hear discrepancies or, or where it, it makes you think about something that you heard in one of your law school classes. And then research and write about it. Don't be afraid to flex and, and, and try it out. Build your network. Talk to people. If you meet somebody, you sit next to somebody who seems relative, even a, like a tiny little bit receptive, get their information. Don't just give yours. Get from them so that you can follow up with them. It, 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 sometimes people are busy. They don't always answer. I mean, I feel terrible when I don't, but it happens. But I will tell you, every time I get some sort of a missive from somebody that I sat next to or met momentarily who got in touch with me afterwards, it makes me smile. And I know even if I don't get around to writing to them right right then, I will at some point run into them if they really are serious about being involved. And I will be much warmer. And so this is, these are just good things to do. So, yeah, but don't, but, you know, where you can, don't leave it to them to get in touch with you. You get in touch with them and ask, ask, ask for help. There's, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had students that have, you know, come to me and said, I would really like to do some research. Do you have any good ideas? Yes, I have a ton of ideas. I don't have the time to pursue them all. Here, take some of these. And and so just ask. That's another one. Join the IISL as a prospective member. We want you. We have a way for, for law students to join our ranks for two years without any dues. You can't vote, but you can certainly, you'll get the newsletter. You'll know what's going on. You'll be, you'll, you'll meet people, you'll have the ability to, well, you'll, you'll get the newsletter, you'll know what's going on in our community. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's a beginning. So yeah, I would say take advantage of every reduced registration. I know the AIAA and the IISS, they all have like student registrations. Take advantage of them. Take advantage of student registration fees at every conference because it won't last, but do it while you can. Milk it while you can. Get out there. And I will say events like the SGAC Fusion Forum are nice because they will 
they occur before the space symposium in Colorado Springs, and it gets you into the first day of the space symposium. So it's almost like a student discount. And um, I have more. I have more. And also volunteer. <laughs> so I had a student last year. She got in touch with the space symposium and said, I would like to, I can't afford to, you know, just come, but I would like to come and volunteer. Can I just, you know, work for you? And they said, sure. They had her working in the tent with all of the exhibitors. She met a ton of people. It turned into a job. So yeah, volunteer. That is, that is an excellent example of yeah. getting involved. And then I was going to say from your unique perspective, do you have any advice for people who have already graduated law school, who may have already been working for more than a few years, and they want to make this transition into the space law community. Do you have any advice for them? Stay abreast of what's going on. Uh, again, write, read and 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 write. It's the same. It's volunteer, get involved, show up. If there's a, a part of there's something that you are interested in and and don't turn your back on serendipity if you have an opportunity and it doesn't look exactly like what you thought you were going to be doing or maybe it's not exactly square in all corners with what you think space law is if it's a good opportunity take it anyway i really never contemplated that i was going to be teaching at a technical university in daytona beach florida I, really it was like a like a, a hard left but I met this gentleman at a conference. I was speaking at McGill, and he told me about this program that they'd put together, and it was such an amazing opportunity. And I had, I was given carte blanche to develop five courses on sp space law courses. I don't know any of my colleagues who've had that much latitude to create from soup to nuts full-blown space law courses, five different ones, completely different from one another. And had I, had I, you know, just sort of uh, said, no, you know, I, I, I want to teach at a law school or, you know, what, Daytona Beach? Yeah. If I'd done any of that, I wouldn't have had that amazing opportunity and I wouldn't be where I'm sitting right now. And, and so you be open to serendipity for law, for people graduating from law school, but just, Stay in the loop. Stay in the loop. I mean, you, you, you do what you got to do. You got, you know, if you got to work, but, but then that's where volunteering comes in. Find ways to insert yourself into the process whenever possible. I think that is a solid piece of advice for us to end the interview on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Diane, for taking the time to speak with me today. Well, I hope that's what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Astro Esquire podcast. For more information about this episode, visit our website at astroesq.com and check out our Patreon page to subscribe for access to bonus content. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. The Astro Esquire podcast is hosted and produced by Nathan Johnson. Our theme music was composed by Kevin Bloom. Thank you.